it's important for us to understand God's heart, and I think we see it in Luke chapter 14. I want to read verse 16 and following to us this morning, so if you would join me there. Jesus told this man a story. He said, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the large banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come because everything is now ready. But without exception, they began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a field, I must go and see it. I ask you to excuse me. The second one said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm gonna go try them out and I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly to the streets, the alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy the banquet. Now, did you catch it? Did you, did you see God's heart revealed? You, you may have missed it as, you, as we were reading through that because I don't know that this is one of the passages that we often think of as being a revelatory passage that gives us God's heart. But you saw it at the very end in verse 23 when the master told the servants, go in the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. God wants a house that is filled. And it's important for us to see it. That, that may be snuck in for us, but God wants a house that is filled. And it reminded me this week as I was thinking about this of a story I saw recently on uh, on the internet and it was kind of, I guess it had been ripped out of a, a television news program and it just happened to be on YouTube and kind of popped up. And it was this mom and her son talking about how they had prepared for this little boy's birthday party and they sent all the invitations that they could to the school so that everybody would come and nobody came to this little boy's birthday party. Can you imagine? Could you imagine what it would be like if if you had baked the cake and put up some streamers and gotten a little gift for your son or your daughter and you, you were gonna do this and you invited everybody that kind of lived in your orbit to invite. I mean, I don't know if they were new to town or what, but the first grade seems like a good place to invite people. You know, you just go to school and hand out invitations and you'd think somebody would say, well, you know, let's go to the party. And nobody came. And in this little boy's case, he got a birthday party from the community because a group of motorcycle bikers decided they heard this kid like motorcycles and so they, they organized everybody they could to ride by this kid's house and have a birthday with him. Imagine what it must feel like to have everything prepared and you want to have that relationship and this is what God has done for us. God created us, he designed us to be in relationship with him. He wants that for us and as God has done these things, he invites us into those things and imagine, I mean, we, we act like God doesn't have feelings. God has feelings. Rejection. The scripture says of the Savior, despised and rejected. You imagine that moment. God has loved us. He's created us. He wants us to be in relationship with him. This is the most amazing thing. God of the universe loves you. He loves me. And he loves us so much as we looked last week that he sent his only son to die for us 
so that we could be in relationship with him. And that's a gift that God wants us to take to the world because God's heart is for his house to be filled. Have you ever met a grandmother who if you called her and said, you know, I've got one of your grandkids here and he wanted me to bring him by and she'd be like, nah, sorry, house is full, right? No, there's always room at grandma's table, isn't there, for one more. Come on, scooch over, we're gonna set a place. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I I love that about my grandparents. It didn't matter what they were doing. If I called them, they would stop what they were doing. If I showed up at their house unannounced, it was like, we're so glad you're here. It was never like, man, you have come at a bad time. I'm busy today. Nope, they'd rearrange schedules. Think about it. There's always room for one more. That's what God's heart is. He wants the world to know him because he wants his house to be filled. But we see some of the excuses that we make, don't we, in this. There were three. My stuff, my job, my family. My stuff, my job, my family. You know, it starts many times in our lives that the things that God puts in our hands as stewards become things that are supposed to flow through our hands. And we talked about this last week. Sometimes God gives you things that you get to steward all of your life, your, maybe your home or, or, or something that God has given you that's been passed down to you. You get to steward that all of your life. Sometimes God gives you things just for a short time and they pass right through your hands and they're on to something else. I was reading a book this week and uh, the author shared about how someone had given him a Mont Blanc pen. That doesn't mean very much to me because I use Jetstream pens here at the office. You know, you can pick those up pretty much anywhere. But a Mont Blanc pen's pretty nice, isn't it? I mean, if you know anything about it, they're, they're rather expensive. And he said it was just a prized gift to him. And he was just praying to the Lord about ministering to people. And, and the Lord began to say to him, The things that you hold most dear to you have to be willing to flow through your hands. He said, I walked into a a church one day and I met this guy and he was helping me get some things done and I pulled out this pen and started writing with it and the guy said to him, wow, you've got a Mont Blanc pen. Those are incredible, I've always wanted them. And he said, I think you just got one. And he handed the guy the pen. Sometimes those things are just for a moment. We're not owners, We hold all things loosely. They're in our hands today. God can use them tomorrow. He can use them today. But our stuff can start to own us, can't it? So here's the most important thing. Come be part of the banquet. Oh, man, I got some stuff I got to look at. I got things I got to take care of. Second excuse was my job. We all have things we have to do. I recognize that You can't skip work all the time to come to church every time we have the doors open. After a while, you'll be what they call unemployed. We don't want you to do that. The scripture says you should work. The scripture says if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. I mean, there's some godly principles to all of these things. But how many times does our job start to take the place of what the master's really called us to do. And we're so invested in our job, we're not invested in people, we're not investing in the kingdom, and all of a sudden we become slaves to a job instead of slaves to the master, the king. Well, how about families? Is there anything wrong with families? Go be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I mean, that's all good things, right? But can I tell you that I I think that that's one of the things that we have to be mindful of all the time. I hear us make a lot of excuses based on what we have to do for our families. 
Your families will be fine if they see you serve the Lord with gladness. But these folks, they missed it. Now, I want you to not run past this. God created all of those things. He gave them to us. So is God against stuff? Nope, he created stuff. Is God against work? No, he created that. Is God against family? No, he's the author of the family. And yet, these things might be right in front of us to become the most important things in our lives so that we miss the most important thing, which is knowing, loving, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see that the, the first invite is kind of normative that we see in this passage of scripture. The second invite is surprising. We didn't read this, but if we went back a few verses, Jesus was hanging out at a banquet. That's where this whole banquet talk started. And uh, there's a guy talking to him and Jesus said, you did good having a banquet today, but you should, have, you should not have invited all the people who were able to pay you back for these things. If you really wanted to be blessed, you should have spent this time inviting people that can't do anything for you. Now, let's be honest, right? That's hard to do sometimes because we love to have people over to our homes who we might imagine us going over to their homes, right? Have you ever done that? Have you you ever been guilty of this? Well, we've had them over three times and they've never invited us. Let's find somebody else. Interesting train of thought. Completely wrong, by the way, but interesting train of thought. But this guy, as Jesus is talking to him, Jesus is making a point. Now, the first invite went out and these people rejected it. Who was Jesus sent first to? He was sent to the Jews, wasn't he? And everywhere he went, these were his people. He looked like them, he acted like them, he talked to like them, he understood their culture. And yet time after time, we see them rejecting him. And even when Jesus sometimes tries to to tell Gentile people, do you remember the lady that came to Jesus and said, uh, Lord, would you do this for me? And I've got this kid and he needs some help. And he said, do you remember Jesus saying, I didn't come for the dogs. And she said, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs at the table. And he looked at her and said, hmm, great faith. You notice when Jesus talks about great faith, it's normally not about his people. It's about people who shouldn't have had great faith, right? It's people who were not believers. It's people who didn't grow up in it. And Jesus marvels at this all the time. And that's where the first invite goes out. And then the second invite comes back and Jesus tells them, go quickly to the streets, the alleys of the cities and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. A stunning thing because back then people aren't thinking about doing ministry to these people. They're thinking about them as being almost, you know, kind of outsiders because God has, has obviously maimed them or, or they've been lame because of something that happened in their lives. Do you remember that even the disciples? Why is this guy blind? It, you know, is it because... Uh, and he can't walk and all these things. Is it because his parents sinned or did he sin? What, whose fault was it? And you know what Jesus says? This has nothing to do with that. It's so that God may be glorified. Watch. So they invite these people in. It's a stunning invite list, isn't it? It's not senators. It's not, it's not people that can help you. In other words, go to them that can't help you at all and make a difference. When we go on these trips, I mean, what do you expect to get out of it? What, what are you going to get? You have to raise money. You have to take time off from work. You have to leave your family. You have to go serve. You have to prioritize something else higher than, than everything else in your life to go be able to do these things. Well, what do we get out of it? Is it true that we get nothing out of it? Well, that's not true. 
We get a lot out of it, don't we? we? We get the joy of obedience and following the Lord's commands. We get the joy of seeing lives impacted with the gospel. We get the joy of engaging the Lord Jesus Christ in something that is eternal. But on the surface, if you told somebody like, hey, I'm gonna take one of these trips and I'm spending a lot of money to do it and what are you getting out of that? Uh, it's not building my 401k. It didn't help my vacation this year because I can't go to Florida. To thir- I mean, you know we love going down to that 30, what is it, 30A, 31A, whatever that is. You know it. Come on, nod your head. You know it. We like it. That's all fine. But Jesus says, go get some people that you wouldn't expect. And they come back to him and say, we got everybody. And then he says, there's still more. Go into the highways and the hedges. Go beat the bushes. Go find them, Right. Go get out there and do the work and compel them to come in. Bring them with you because I want my house to be full. So Jesus is saying, I've been to the Jews and they've rejected us. Let's go find those Gentiles. Let's go find them and let's bring them in. It's going to be people that surprise us. I think there are two facts about heaven. I think when you get there, you're going to be surprised by who's not there. I think we all will be. I think we'll look around and think, oh man, how did they not make it? I was in church with them my whole life. I thought they really loved the Lord. I I thought they'd made a decision for Christ at some point when we were kids and I didn't know they walked away from the Lord. Maybe maybe they were never saved. What happened here? I think we'll be surprised by who's there. Because a lot of people we write off as hopeless, no chance, They'll never make it. They'll never get their lives right. And we say these things as if we're God in heaven and we know everyone's story. And I think we're gonna be surprised by that. Jesus says, compel them to come in. Go find the stragglers. Go find everybody. Bring them in. You you know, if you don't have any needs, it's hard to understand that you have a need for the Savior, isn't it? I want you to make a right turn in your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16 because I want you to see what happened In Acts chapter 16, here's a perfect example of exactly what Jesus was talking about. Now, for reference, if you've got the little maps in the back of your Bible, you're about to see Paul's second missionary journey taking place. And I don't know that I've ever referenced the maps in the back of your Bible. So when you go home today, you can look at that and follow along and kind of trace it out where he's talking about here. But if you remember, everywhere that Paul went, he oftentimes started in a place like called a synagogue, right? That, that's where he would be. A synagogue was an outpost away from the temple, like a church where, where people would meet who were of the Jewish faith. And he was coming there and saying, guess what guys, Jesus is the Messiah. It's the completion of all of these things. But I want you to see what happens here in verse six. The apostles and the elders gathered together. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Don't forget, uh, just don't pay attention to me. Let me get out of chapter 15 and into chapter 16. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and they'd been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia and they tried to go to Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas and during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and, pretend, and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us And after he'd seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. Notice what happened. They're they're doing something that's really important. 
they're on mission for the Lord and they've been going to places that they expect to be in there. They're trying to figure it out and God keeps saying no. God keeps saying no. I gotta ask you a question. When God says no to you, do you get angry? Do you get disappointed? I often do. I mean, just honestly, in the frailty of my flesh, when God says no, a lot of times I'm like, I mean, come on. This is a great idea. That's laughable, isn't it? Have you ever thought that you have this great idea and God's like, well, not really. Because you don't see on the other side of your great idea, bud. You're going to mess this thing up because it's not in my will. Because his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, right? So what happens is Paul is, is doing what he should be doing and God keeps shutting it down. And it's not a no that's a negative. It's a no that's leading to somewhere God wants to be. And what's happening is they're exploring ministry. They're probing. Oh, is this where God wants us to be? No. Okay. Was this where God wants us to be? No. Well, Lord, I, we're trying. We want to serve you. We, we want to be there. Uh, you know what I find in the church? I mean, can we just, we're friends. We can be honest. Y'all take the role of the Holy Spirit and you say no before God ever says yes. Hey, would you start? No, I, I could never do that. No. I'd love to see you start probing where God might want you to serve instead of sitting back waiting for us to come to you so that you can just tell us no. You know what I mean? There's a difference, isn't there? You see the difference in what they're doing? You may have heard this. God hits a moving target, right? They're not trying to run ahead of God. They're doing what they were called to do. They're on the way to share the gospel. God keeps closing doors, but then Paul has a vision. Come over here and help us. Come over here and help us. It's funny. It was a Macedonian man. The first person that Paul met when he got there was a Macedonian woman. Her name was Lydia. He shared the gospel with her and her family was impacted by the gospel and she was saved. People didn't like that and so they stuck Paul in prison. Do you remember the story of the Philippian jailer? He had these men bound in the middle of the night. There's an earthquake. Everything falls off. And he's about ready to take his own life, this jailer is, because he knows if a prisoner escapes, it's, it's over for him. And Paul says, don't do it. We're still here. And the scripture said he took him out, bandaged their wounds, took him to his house, and his household was impacted by this. Now, we can try to do a lot of things on our own. We, we, we can try and we should try and we should look for opportunities and we should seek those things. And when God shuts a door, rather than being all, all bummed about it and disappointed and angry and God, why didn't you do what I wanted you to do? I had this great idea. As we explore, God ultimately opens a door, doesn't he? And says, ah, here it is. And the call comes to us. Now, do you remember when we studied the book of Jonah, we talked about how there's a general call in all of our lives. You cannot escape it. God gives you a, a general call to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's, that's anywhere, anytime with anyone that we meet. We need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us. And then there, there's a vocational call that God's given you and you go and work and you do those things and, and that's great. But sometimes God gives us a specific call, doesn't he? where it's not just about going. Now, Paul was in the general, he's going, but now all of a sudden he has this vision and God brings him over to Macedonia. And what God is doing is saying, my work needs to happen here. 
And rather than trying to direct it, Paul's like, amen, let's go. Did you notice what happened? It said, after we had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to get over there. So why do we bring these partners in here to you? Why is it important that when you're done with the service in just a second, that you don't just rush off to Sunday school and start scarfing donuts and coffee? Why is that important? Because we're trying to get you to interact with someone and God is going to do something. He's going to meet you there and meet their need and he's gonna put it together. And when he does, that call will happen and all of a sudden you'll be right in the center of God's will serving God somewhere, somehow. We were walking around our tables yesterday and Miss Marvina Hooper, who works with Casa David, looked at me and said, Pastor, it's time for you to come to Casa David. Well, amen. Okay, let's go do that. Let, let, let's find a way to make that happen. Let's find a way to, to do that. Why is that? Well, I think it's important that we remember, you know, God's working everywhere. And a lot of times we're trying to work and we're trying to do things. But if we just join God, remember what Henry Blackaby said? Discover where God's working, join him there. And you'll see God bless your socks off. The ministries will be blessed. So for us to go this year, it, it takes more than just kind of passivity of sitting back and the answer being no. Let our answer be yes and let God shut the door. Let God shut the door and God may surprise us. We may think we're going to serve over here and that God's gonna do one thing with us and, and we're ready to go do it and God says, nope, nope, nope. And all of a sudden, it happens. Boom, right here. I want you to, to hear our heart this morning. Jesus is calling us to go to places that, that may not be comfortable. He's calls, calling us to go and, and minister to people that, that may not bring anything back to us and, and, and they may not uh, be able to help build our church or, or do something. It doesn't matter. That's not what the call is. The call is to go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, to let them know that there's a God that loves them. And, and I want our church this year to hear that and adopt that again and for us to be a going church, a sending church that's ready to go and preach the gospel anywhere that God opens the door. So we've brought this to you. And now, it's your time to respond. I'm gonna ask you if you would, would you bow your heads? And we're going to enter into a time of response. In a minute, we'll sing kind of an invitation hymn that I think is perfectly suited for us this morning as it speaks to us about following the Lord. This morning... Would you let your yes be in front of the question that God asks? A lot of times our yes is behind the question, right? Will you do this? Yes. How about going before the Lord this morning and saying yes? And then go out in that lobby and, and walk around those mission projects and those partnerships and, and just see if God doesn't move your heart and, and, and touch your life so that you want to be part of it. And if God doesn't give you the answer, come back tonight and be part of our night of giving and just hear the stories of what God's doing and see the joy that will be on our faces tonight and see if God doesn't move you. Our Father, we recognize this morning that 
We may have some ideas about what we think you want us to do, but God, they would pale in comparison to what your thoughts about your mission would be. They can't be as creative as what you would have. Lord, if you don't give it to us, we have nothing. We're depending on you. Our mission partners are here today, Lord. They're depending on you. I know, God, that that some of them today have walked in the door and they need an answer from you about things they've been praying about and they're seeking your face and your direction. God, would you give it to them? God, in just a moment, we're going to sing that your ways are sure and that your ways are good and we confess that and we believe that. God, it's time for us to go. And we're praying that today you would move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.